Okay, well, good morning. It's good to see you. Some old friends, those who know me, yeah, some old friends. Those of uh, you who know me as Uncle Phil, yeah, Uncle Phil, that's from our new day experiences together. <clears throat> and uh, new people as well, I just want to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so honored to be with you, and it really does feel actually a bit home from home. And uh, so I do have a special place in my heart for Crawley Community Church, and um, for, for obvious reasons, I suppose, a little bit. And I just want to encourage you that God is with you. Okay, so I come from a place where I'm used to hearing a lot of people shouting amen back at me. So <clears throat> sorry for the uh, awkward pause there. But God is with you. God is doing something here in Crawley. And uh, I just feel in my heart to say that God has brought you through fire, but he's bringing his fire. Amen. And I believe that Crawley will see revival in your generation. In the name of Jesus. And I know you're going through a series at the moment <clears throat> uh, called Devotion. And I know you've been looking at certain aspects of how we devote our lives to the Lord Jesus. And I know you've been going through uh, things like fasting and worship. And I want to touch on a little bit on prayer. But I don't want to speak about uh, the technique of prayer today. I want to do something a little different that I pray will aid you in your prayer and your worship. And I want to kick off with a, a statement this morning to say this, that it's God's pleasure to reveal himself to his people more and more. And the reason he wants to reveal himself is that we might know him. How many of you want to know Jesus more? All right, I've got some work to do. That was about half of you. <laughs> Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. God is in the business of revealing himself so that we might know him. And if we know him more, we'll be able to worship him more effectively. We'll be able to pray more effectively. Not so long ago in our church, we did a series uh, on the Lord's Prayer. And we, we spent about three months on it, actually. And, and partly because we got to the line, hallowed be your name. And, and we, we got stuck, if you like, on, for about eight weeks, just looking at some of the names for God. Because in his name, God reveals himself. He doesn't reveal just his character, but he demonstrates who he is. And we see that in, in Matthew 6 and, and Luke 13, where the disciples came to Jesus and they, and they asked him. They'd obviously seen Jesus praying. And obviously the Jewish people had their set prayers and, and a way of praying. But Jesus was doing something different. So they came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus says to them, when you pray, say. And I think it's really important. Yes, God knows what we're thinking. Yes, we can pray prayers in our head and in our heart. But there's something powerful when we say. There's something powerful when we declare when we give thanks, we're doing something in the spiritual realm. <clears throat> and so Jesus wasn't just teaching the disciples how to pray, but also he was teaching them how to approach God. And in the first line of that prayer, Jesus says, our Father. And right there, he uses this beautiful 
a Hebrew word, which I don't know if anybody's seen The Chosen recently. And it, yeah, anyone big fans of Chosen? The Chosen? Yeah, me, me too. I'd really encourage you. I'd really recommend it to you. But in that uh, series, they use the word, the Hebrew word for father a lot. The word is Abba. And that word Abba is, um, is a really intimate word. The closest word we have in English is daddy. And so right from the outset, Jesus is changing or revealing the new covenant he's making with his people. No longer a God who is distant and far off in their mind, but someone who is approachable. A dad, we've got babies here. We've got, I see a baby here on a lap. It's that kind of relationship where we can sit on daddy's lap. We can put our head on his chest and hear his heartbeat for us. That kind of relationship. And that's what Jesus was revealing to the disciples. But immediately in the same line, he says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is that word for, for sacred and holy. And so what Jesus was saying, he said, yes, I want you to be intimate. This, this new relationship you can have with the Father. But don't forget, he's still holy. And so Jesus was bringing some balance into that relationship between God and man. And we, we see in Scripture that, that God has many, many names. And I just want to focus on one name today, a name that I pray will really aid us in our prayer and in our worship. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at one of the names that, in fact, the name that God introduces himself to Moses with. And the people of Israel, where he introduces himself as, I am. And I always say that, what's your name? I am. But we think, well, I am what? You know, we think of ourselves, when we think of ourselves, we use adjectives. For ourselves, don't we? we? We say, I am English, or I am Brazilian, or I am European, I am African, I am Asian. Or we might say, I'm black, I'm white, I'm brown. We, I am rich, or I am poor. I'm a Charlton fan. I'm a Brighton fan. Oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> Politically, I'm left-wing, or I am right-wing. I am outgoing, or I'm introverted. But when God reveals himself, he simply says, I am. And if God were to wear a t-shirt, I imagine that t-shirt would say, I am, no adjective required. <laughs> because he is complete and he's absolute in himself. It's all in that name. And I just want to expand on that a little bit this morning. And, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Exodus chapter 3. But Exodus chapter 2 gives some background to that, where the Israelites hadn't heard from God in centuries. They'd not heard since the times of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from a time when they had once prospered under Joseph in Egypt, but now they've been slaves for 400 years. And I was thinking about, what does 400 years look like, like for us? You know, the early 1600s was when you know, Shakespeare was alive. It's when, it's when the Bible, we had the King James Version of the Bible printed. That's how long ago it was for them. So God, was, God had heard their cries and, and saw their oppression and he decides to act. And for the people who've been in slavery for hundreds of years, maybe God had been some kind of distant memory 
Just a story maybe handed down from generation to generation. Maybe the people told stories of the great miracles and wonders of the past. But their conclusion perhaps was, well, well, God doesn't do that anymore, does he? Does that ring a bell in our generation? But God heard their cries. And in Exodus chapter 3, God meets with Moses in the burning bush. We have that first scripture from verse 6. It says this, Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so there, after that, God then commissions Moses to go into Egypt to free God's people because God had seen their suffering. Of course, Moses complains and he argues with God in this conversation. He's trying to get out of it. Well, why not? You know, he's old now. The guy's 80 years old. He's lacking in confidence ever since he ran away from Egypt after killing an Egyptian soldier when he was prince of Egypt. And I find God extraordinarily patient in this conversation. But, but then we see in verse 13, he says, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Hallelujah. And we live in a culture, don't we, where there are many kind of concepts of God. There are many ideas of God. And you get these often spiritual people, and I do it in inverted commas, religious people who don't know God, and they might say to you, well, there are, there are many gods with a small g. And in a sense, they're, they're not wrong. We'll look at that a, a bit later on. Or they might say to you, well, there's, there's one God, but there are many roads that lead to him or lead to her. <laughs> but I think the greatest lie of Satan, and I say it to all of us, but I, I, I want to pick out the young people especially because... This is the world that you are in at the moment. You're bombarded with this at the moment where we hear the phrase, well, there is no God. Not really. We are our own God. We're all we'll ever need. You know, the world will tell you and talk about me, myself and I. Have you heard that? We live in this individualistic society. And it's no wonder, I think, you know, we suffer from depression. Suicide is on the rise. We are basically a selfish people because we've been told you don't need anyone else. The greatest lie of Satan is to convince people that he doesn't exist and God doesn't exist. You only need yourself. Have you, you've heard songs. Be, be wary of what is being preached at you. On television, in songs, in films, movies. Go to Netflix and Disney and, and Amazon Prime. 
You only need you. It's the power of you. Be really wary of this message because, quite frankly, it comes from the pit of hell. It's designed to convince you that you don't need God. But what does the Bible say in Psalm 14, verse 1? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That, that word fool means that person is morally deficient. They're corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. That's what the scripture says. But today, I, to help us understand God's introduction to Moses and to us, we need to understand that there are different Hebrew definitions of God. And I love getting into this stuff. And, and I'm going to do some things which might make me look scholarly, but there are people in this room who know that I'm not really that much of a scholar. So every religion has a God or gods. And that word God is actually, it's just a title. It's not a name. And the Hebrew word for God is that word we've heard of, I'm sure, Elohim. Heard of the word Elohim? Okay, Elohim. So in chapter 3, verse 6, when he says, I'm the God of your fathers, he would have used the word, I am the Elohim of your fathers. But there were other peoples that had other Elohim. So he says, I am the Elohim of your fathers. And so he gets a little bit more specific as well. And he says, I am the same Elohim that your fathers worshipped. I was their Elohim. But even there, it's a little bit insufficient. So God then gives his name. And, and this, is that, this is where I get into this and this kind of mind-bending and stuff. But he uses a, a Hebrew word, ehweh. That makes me sound really, really intelligent. But now, I'd like everybody to say, ehweh. Thank you. You are now as intelligent as I am. Ehweh. But it literally means, I will be. This is what that means. And so in uh, Exodus 3.12, when, when Moses is arguing, he says, who am I to go to Pharaoh? In verse 12, he's, God says, I will be with you. And so what he's saying is it's not just about a state, but God is invoking his name. And this is so important. And also, he's, he's not saying, well, I'll be with you sometime in the future. That's not what that means. It means I am with you right now. And I will always be with you from this moment into the future forever. That's what he's saying. Because I am not restricted by time. I'm outside of time. I envelop time. And so grammatically it gets a bit weird because I am with you yesterday. I am with you now. I am with you in your tomorrow. Somebody here this morning needs to hear that God is with you in your tomorrow. I hope you receive that. And so this is why the, the best translation is, I am who I am. Because what it means is, he is consistently with us. Constantly, he exists forever. He is without end. But this is where it gets really mind-bending. He is without beginning. We sometimes, because we see Jesus sometimes, because he was born here as a man, he had a beginning as a man. But in his divine nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit never began. They are. Is it, yeah? No? Yes? It's, it's, you're lost too. It took me ages. 
He says, it's in my name, whatever character I display, this is me. It's part of my name. I'm all-encompassing the I am who I am. So when he says, I am provider, it's not just what he does, it's who he is. Counselor, comforter, righteousness, holy, peace, healer, the shepherd, and so on. Whatever characteristic I show, I am, is what he's saying. It's not simply something I do. He's saying, I am the standard by which everything else is set and comes up short, incidentally. No one can touch him. I'm unique. I am complete in myself. In his name, God is making a character statement about himself. And perhaps the best way to to kind of get our heads around it, he's saying when when he says, I am who I am, he's saying, I am and will continue to be what I am and forever will be. That's quite a long name. But then Moses then calls the Lord, and again, this is Hebrew grammar. He, didn't, he doesn't use the word ehweh, which is the name and title that only God can use for himself, but he uses Yahweh, Yahweh, which is, which is essentially, it's like he is who he is. He is the one who he says he is. That's the closest we get in English, but in English we use I am that I am. And the best way for Bible translators to get around that is to use the word Lord. But there are different definitions of Lord in the Bible. And so we, we get the, the lowercase Lord, which simply means someone who is a master, perhaps you know, master of his own house. He could be the mayor of the town. But when we have this word Yahweh, in the English Bible, the word Lord is in capital letters. So, for example, if you go to Malachi chapter 3, it says, I, the Lord, capital letters, do not change. So he's saying not only he exists beyond time, but he is also absolute in his name and in his character. His name and his character never change. Amen? So he's the eternal, self-sustaining, self-determining, sovereign reality. And he doesn't need anybody else to complete him. And so when we go back to scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 5, 6 and 7, Moses is repeating the Ten Commandments to the people. And God says through this, he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And God, so God is saying here, I am who I am, am your Elohim. Okay, stay with me. I'm your Elohim. You will worship no other Elohim. What I find really, really interesting is with the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in this verse, the Greek translation is daimon. And we get the word demon from this word. He's saying you will not worship anything that is not me, because behind it, it is demonic. Anything or anyone that takes you away from me is demonic. 
And so God is acknowledging that there are demons either directly vying for your time or demons using other things to take you away from God. It is demonic. You will have no other Elohim before me. I am your Elohim. He says, this Elohim, this Yahweh, the I am, the, the Lord, the one true God, the creator of all things, the giver and the sustainer of life, says, I am making a covenant with my people. So you will not have anyone else. You will not bow down to these other Elohim, these daimon, because I, only I am Yahweh. I am a jealous God of anyone who tries to take you away from me because I love you. I made you. Come on, I made you, he says. I keep you. I hold you. So I will not tolerate if you give your allegiance to anybody else. He's a jealous God for us. Of course, we know that Israel betrayed Yahweh over and over again. And it's not all doom and gloom because even in the Old Testament we see the grace of God. We see how God keeps wooing and drawing his people back to himself. But eventually he has to send Jesus. And so Jesus comes finally to redeem his people. To the people of Israel but also the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Which is incidentally you and I. He came to redeem us, and it was something only God could do. And so in John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching exactly that. He says that we are children and descendants by faith through Jesus. And in this passage from verse 53, the religious leaders are speaking. But I want us to notice how Jesus reveals himself in this passage here. So the religious people are talking to him and asking him, well, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. They, they, you're not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. <clears throat> so Jesus revealed himself not only as equal to God, but that he is God. And incidentally, to all those people who argue that Jesus never said he was the son of God, show them this scripture. Those people who need some weapons, if you like, to speak to the Muslim community. I've heard Islamic clerics say, if, if, if Jesus says he's the son of God, I will follow him. But he never said it. Show them John 8. Because he said he is God. 
He said, I am. Jesus says, and I'm using terrible grammar deliberately, the Father and I am God. We are one and the same. And this is why the religious leaders were furious with him, because Jesus in that moment used exactly the same title in, from Exodus chapter 3. He used the expression, Ehweh. And that's why they picked up those stones, because it was so blasphemous that he used the name that only God could use. And he said, I am. John testifies about this in chapter 1. We know it so well, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But if we break that down this morning, we can say it this way. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, I am. And Jesus was, I am. That's essentially what John is saying. And as you're going through this series on devotion, I want to say this. It's not about what you do in prayer. It's not about how you pray or how you worship it's about who you know if you know him you will worship him and this is my message here this morning if you want a better prayer life know Jesus know the I am how do you get to know him better well spend time in the word open up the word daily the more you read his word, the more Jesus will be revealed to you. Amen? And the more Jesus is revealed to you, the more you will love him. And I want to love Jesus more. Anybody else want to love Jesus more? And we are, we are imperfect, broken people. And we have the stuff of life. We have the busyness of life, and sometimes you get to the end of the week and you think, Oh, I, I, I spent hardly any time with him. But he has opened a door for us. The more we're with him, the more we'll honor him, the more we will exalt him, the more we will revere him, the more we will obey him. And I would suggest to you as well don't read him about him just in the Gospels. It's great, yes, he was a man, he was meek, he was lowly, he was gentle, he was kind, but I would suggest to you that's not a complete picture. If you want to know what he's like now, go to Revelation chapter 1. Go and read about the warrior king. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you pray. And I'm going to read it, and if you wish, it's going to be on the screen, then feel free to read it. But perhaps if you want, just for a moment, just close your eyes. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. 
and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. If we knew Jesus like this, as he is now, it would change everything. It would change us. And therefore change the way we pray and the way we worship him. In a moment, we're going to do just that. We're going to worship him. And I'd like us just to have that image of him in our mind's eye. God has chosen to reveal himself in this way to us. This God, this Yahweh, this I am, this Jesus is to be exalted. He's to be magnified. And when I say that, I don't mean that he needs magnification. I mean he needs to be magnified in my life. Another way to say this is I need to big him up. And I sometimes in my mind's eye, I try to, especially when we have an open sky like today, I, look, I, I kind of look up, I imagine his throne filling everything I see. And I am a tiny speck in front of his throne. That is the magnitude of our God. We're invited as well to find that balance between Abba, Daddy, that intimacy that we can have with him, but also Yahweh, I am the Holy One, the one who is all supreme. Jesus gave that key to us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Abba, your name is holy. You are holy. We can have that intimacy, yet we've got to have that holy fear of God. We can't get flippant about God because we live in an era of grace. Don't forget he's holy. He's terrifying. He is awesome. He's the one who could snuff out our life just like that. Thank God he loves us. Thank God we're on the right side. And Jesus paid that ultimate price in order that we might have access to the most holy God, the purest of all. We have access to him. We have access to the holy of holies. In the Old Testament, the holy of holies was a place where only one man could visit one time a year, the high priest. He actually had to wear a rope tied around his leg with bells on. Why? Because if he didn't get it right before he entered that place, if he wasn't consecrated and sanctified, if his heart was not right, the holiness of God would kill him. And so the priests who were outside, if they, if they heard the bells had stopped ringing, they would be able to pull him out. God has given us access. When, the veil, when he died on the cross... The Bible tells us that the veil in the temple was torn in two. Now, that the temple was enormous. That veil was enormous. It said that it was a, about this thick. 
They said if you put two shy, tied two shire horses on either end of that veil and they pulled, it would be impossible. But even if they pulled, it would have been torn from bottom to top. But the Bible is really specific that the veil was torn from top to bottom. God himself ripped that veil in two and allows us access to come boldly before the throne of grace. Jesus has made the way. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. It was because of the cross. He bids us come into that holy place. He bids us come into his presence to be with the Holy One who is yet Abba, still Dad. And we need to have balance in our understanding of God. If we emphasize Father too much, we're in, in danger mentally of dragging God down to our own level. And yet, if we emphasize his holiness too much, we might feel that we can never attain his pleasure to, to be in his presence, to attain his love and attention. But Jesus gave us both. He gave us balance. He wants to reveal himself to us in this way. That he is the awesome, holy, terrifying God and yet he is daddy, Abba. And you will know I am who I am if you know Jesus. He is one and the same. And he's desperate to be known by you. Desperate to be known by you. He's jealous for you. So desperate to save you that he poured himself into human form. In order to be the perfect sacrifice on that cross to pay for our pay our debt he paid for our sin but he did something so much more in his death he appeased the wrath of god against us we deserved death we deserve his wrath his anger against us but instead he god took out his anger against jesus on the cross for you and for me we are so undeserving. He has poured out his mercy. He's poured out that which, those punishments that we deserve. But he's poured out his grace on us as well. That instead we get his favor. We get his good things, his gifts. We get his life that we don't deserve. This is the difference between mercy and grace. And he's given it to us all. And he... Thank God that God raised Jesus from the dead. Come on. He's been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. He's ascended into heaven. He's seated on that throne at the right hand of the Father. Can you see him yet? And he wants us to know him so that we can love him better. And he draws us into that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have no need of anybody else. We have been invited in to that relationship. That we might love him. Matthew 22, we know it from the Old Testament as well. Love the Lord, the I am, 
your God, your Elohim, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. I don't know about you, but I want to fall more and more in love with the I am. His name is Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as we do, I just want us to remember, let us come. When we come to worship God, revere him. Let's come as Moses came when he met Yahweh, when he met I am who I am, shoeless. And what I mean by that is with holy reverence, holy fear of almighty God, yet remembering Daddy bids us come. Be with me. Knowing also that we come to a God who desires intimacy with us. It's not like he's sitting on the throne with his arms folded. Come on, let's see what you've got. He says, my son, my daughter, come to me. I'm here. Can we just stand where we are? as we worship we're going to pray for people but just just perhaps once through this song keep that image of Jesus before you the warrior king the I am who I am the ancient of days the one who knows no end the one who knows no beginning the one at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus.